again, good morning. I forgot to introduce myself, so for those of you who may be visiting with us, my name is David Wilson, and I'm the lead pastor here at this campus of Coastal, and uh, we sure are glad you're here. And if you've been coming here for a little while, you can actually see me today uh, and the team, because we got some lights up here finally, and I know maybe you want to turn back off right about now, but... Um, I'm just happy I can read my notes, so this is really a good thing, and uh, I'm very thankful one step at a time, right? We are really, really grateful for what God's doing. Listen, as I mentioned, we're going to be continuing in James, and we're going to be in chapter one today talking about wisdom, so find your way there. Let me give you a, a couple of quick things uh, that are coming up that I want to remind you of in the meantime. So uh, you know if you, again, if you've been part of this campus and this family for a little while, you know that I've spent about four years uh, as lead pastor at Coastal's first campus up in Gloucester. And uh, we uh, were privileged to see God do some amazing things there, but we have been in a rental facility now for about five years. And uh, next Sunday, God willing, we are going to break ground on a new facility for Coastal Gloucester. So, man, that's been a long time coming. It's about two years since we uh, did our fundraiser, began our fundraiser a little over two years. So if you participated in that, the fruits of your faithfulness and generosity are uh, going to begin to take root. And uh, so thank you for that. But the groundbreaking is open to everybody. So if you want to drive all the way up to Gloucester, I know if you're not accustomed to going over there, most people kind of feel like they need a passport, but you really don't. Just <laughs> drive across the bridge. It's about seven miles from the the Gloucester Bridge, and you'll be there. It's well, find Wawa. If you if you don't know where you're going, ask anybody in Gloucester. Where's the Wawa? And they'll know. And uh, it's right there. Production and sound training. As you can imagine, it takes a lot to do everything that we do on a Sunday with, with sound equipment and the slides and video and all of all sorts of behind the scenes things that go on in in uh, production, and we would love to have you involved. If that's something you're inclined to, uh, then by all means, go to gocoastal.org forward slash events. There's a training coming up on the third, uh, the 4th of June. Uh, that's pretty soon, but they're going to give you lunch and the whole bit. It's going to be really, really beneficial, and uh, we could sure use a couple of, of folks uh, to join the team here. And then Prekind is the last thing. That is, as you know, a... Uh, organization here in our area that helps to fight against human trafficking and they're going to have some online training if you'd like to become an advocate uh, for some of these folks to be able to help them through their transition it would be a really useful thing we have folks in our church who are uh, doing that and uh, it's a great great and important ministry okay we began last week talking about the testing of our faith facing trials and James, as we mentioned then, doesn't waste any time just jumping right in, right? He doesn't talk about the folks that he's writing to a lot or anything like that. He's just trying to get right to the nitty-gritty. And he left us, though, with the hope that if we let steadfastness do its work, we will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And I don't know about you, but when I leave, having studied a section like that, there's a part of me that says... I don't entirely feel that way, right? Uh, I greeted someone this morning. I said, how are you doing today? He said, adequate, which is probably true for most of us, right? Except for the days that we feel pretty inadequate. And uh, some days we do that, and we walk into life, or we're facing a trial, or we're in a situation, and we're just not sure we're up to the task of doing it. I was talking with another good friend just this morning, like, 
they're going through a situation that they've got to just kind of wait it out and discern what does God want me to do. Uh, it takes a section of scripture like this to help us understand that we need wisdom. Now, here's the deal with wisdom, right? We want the right kind of wisdom. It's not uncommon for us to view wisdom as something you gain as you live life, which is certainly true. There is a sense in which we gain a certain amount of wisdom just living life. But if that was the only way to gain wisdom, then first of all, if you're only 20 and you're going to live till you're 80, you've got a long time to wait till you get all the wisdom you'd like, right? And we would just have to assume that everybody from 60 on up just knows everything they need to, so just ask them. Which, of course, we would all love for you to believe that. But we all know better because we've been in this a little while, and so we know that that's not necessarily true. But sometimes being old helps, right? So I want to just tell you a story I found about a lawyer who thought he would take advantage of a senior citizen that he happened to sit next to on an airplane. They were bored. They were wanting to take a nap, frankly, and he thought, oh, I'll, I'll make a little money. So he said, I want to make you a deal. We're going to play a game. I'll ask you a question. You ask me a question. And if we can't answer the question, we'll exchange a little money. The senior said, I don't really want to do that. I, you know, I'm not interested. The lawyer said, no, seriously, I'll make it good. If I ask a question and you can't answer it, you give me five bucks. If you ask me a question and I can't answer it, you give me, I'll, I'll give you $500. The senior thought, okay, fine, let's do that. So the lawyer said, I'll go first. How far is it from the earth to the moon? The senior said, I don't know, pulled out five bucks, handed it to him. Tried to go back to sleep. The lawyer said, no, 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 now it's, it's your turn. <sighs> senior citizen said, okay, what goes up a hill with three legs and comes back down with four? The lawyer said, I, I don't know. So the senior citizen leaned over, nodded off, decided to take a nap, and the lawyer went to town, searching it out, trying to figure it out, called some of his smartest buddies, called people he knew that worked at a zoo. What in the world goes up with three legs and comes back down with four? Finally, he nudged this person and said, I have no idea. Come on, you're driving me. I don't know the answer to that question, and handed him $500. Took it, folded it up, stuck it in their pocket, and went back to sleep. And the lawyer said, wait, 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 wait. I got to know. What goes up a hill with three legs and comes back down for four? To which the senior pulled out $5 and handed it to him. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> so sometimes there's some real wisdom that you gain after a while, right? Experience helps. But the kind of wisdom we need for life goes a little further than that, right? We want to know how do we access the kind of wisdom that God wants to give us to, in part, face trials. So here's how James begins in verse 5 of chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. It is, could it be that simple? So your first point, trials demand wisdom. 
And I realize it's certainly more than trials, right? There is a, a sense in which there are many things in life that demand wisdom. When you're trying to purchase some things and use your money wisely, it demands wisdom. When you are intending to uh, build on a relationship with someone and you don't know where this is going to go and you need wisdom, it's best to ask God. There are a lot of times that we need wisdom. So what are we asking for? Can we back up just a minute and look in Proverbs chapter 1 at what wisdom is? What's the difference? Because we don't just want more information. You can get information almost anywhere, right? But Proverbs chapter 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. So Solomon is writing this book to his son, actually, to explain to him how to live wisely, to receive instruction in wise dealing. In righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we need both, right? We need instruction and we need wisdom. We need knowledge and wisdom. We need to understand facts and we need to know how do I use these facts in life. So knowledge that I gain certainly from the scriptures and from God and knowledge that I gain from searching things out is really important. But you've met people that know a lot, but don't seem to have enough sense to commit out of the rain, right? There's a difference that I think we're all well aware of between knowledge and wisdom. Which is why we struggle sometimes to say, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I struggle knowing how to do it, right? That's what James is talking about. So as as the New Testament Solomon, as the guy in the New Testament who writes the book of wisdom, he says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So we're going to build, he's building a case here. Trials demand wisdom. We face things that we do not know what to do. We face situations where we don't know how to respond. We're not certain what we're supposed to say or how we're supposed to react or we've been given a requirement and we don't know that we can fulfill this thing correctly or it contradicts something that fits in our belief system or whatever it is. How do we do that? Trials demand wisdom. Wisdom demands prayer. Wisdom demands prayer. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask God. Go to the right source. He should, it says. If any man lacks wisdom, he should ask God. That's a requirement. That's what you need to do. That's what you have to do. And it's not just ask God because he does a certain thing, but it's written in a way that tells us something about God's character. 
He should ask God, the one who gives generously. It's a character description. It's not just saying ask him because he knows he can give you the answer. It's you should ask God because it's in his nature to give. It's in his nature to grant wisdom. It is in the nature of God to want to help his children understand how to live life and how they should do things. That's how God is. It's who God is. Wisdom demands prayer, so we should ask God. Because it will be given. You don't have to wonder if you genuinely go to God and ask for wisdom, whether or not he'll give it. In fact, he gives it generously, it says, right? Let him ask God, the God who gives generously, freely, without strings attached, liberally, because God is rich in resources. He has no reason to be miserly in what he gives, especially when it comes to things like wisdom. We don't have to worry that if we go to God and ask him for something, he's not going to be able to respond with wisdom for us because he's generous with that. He gives it in abundance. And he gives it without reproach. Man, I love that. If you have had children or have them currently, you might want to cover their ears just for a second because I know that sometimes your kids ask for things and they keep coming and keep asking over and over and over again. And you give them the answer. And they don't like the answer, so they come back and ask again, right? Hoping, or they go to mom or dad or whoever they ask first, right? And they keep coming and they keep asking, hoping that the answer will change. And every once in a while, you would like to look at them and say, will you stop, maybe you do this, will you stop asking me that? I already answered you. God could do that with us, right? I don't know about you, but it, I feel like I'm constantly going to God asking for wisdom. Lord, I'm not sure what to do about this situation. I'm not sure how to carry out what I've been asked to carry out. I'm not sure what I should do. Lord, I need wisdom. And sometimes, sometimes I just feel like it must in the heart of God be like, you again? Didn't, weren't you just here yesterday asking me for this? God could say, well, what did you do with the wisdom I gave you yesterday? And I would have to be honest sometimes and say, well, yeah, but I, I just didn't really want to do it that way. Right? I mean, maybe that doesn't happen to you, right? Maybe you don't pray and ask for wisdom and then do it your way anyway. Every once in a while, I just wonder, does God say, listen, I know you're not going to make use of what I tell you, so I'm not going to give it to you, right? God does not do that. He gives without reproach. God gives despite my previous record. What a relief. What a relief to know that when I go to ask God again for wisdom, he will give it because it is in his nature to give. And it will be given. There is no doubt about it. There's no question about it. The end of verse 5 is very clear. It will be given. 
It's going to happen. That's an incredible promise. What an amazing thing. So, I need wisdom from God. I need wisdom just in general. I begin by going to God about that. That's what I have to do. I have to go to God, and I have to seek, not just for information, but for wisdom. Lord, how do I act in this situation? What am I supposed to do? I'm a, a businessman, and I work under someone else, and they've just told me I need to do a certain thing, and it just feels unethical to me. Lord, what do I do? I'm a teacher, and I've just been instructed to teach things about uh, morality in my classroom with my students that I believe are contrary to the scriptures. What should I do? I'm, I'm a, uh, a, I have a friend at work, and I really want to witness to them, but there never seems to be an opportunity. Lord, how do I get this opening to talk to them about Jesus? Whatever the particular thing is, if I need wisdom, I ask God, and he promises he'll give it. Sometimes it's just wisdom to figure out how to get through the rest of today, right? That's okay. It is okay because God does not look at you and say, how stupid can you be? How come you can't figure that one out? It is in his nature to want to give. So trials, stresses, troubles that I face demand wisdom. Wisdom demands prayer. And prayer, if we keep reading, demands faith. So beginning in verse 6, six we have this bit of a qualification. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Trials demand wisdom. Wisdom demands prayer. Prayer demands faith. Now, I need to take a couple of minutes here because I have a concern that we, when we talk about that, let him ask in faith. It's right in the text, right? I, I'm going to just ask in faith, and in faith I'm believing that God is going to do this and that if I do this, he'll do this certain thing. What does it mean to pray in faith? I think that folks sometimes, maybe more often than we want to admit, have a bit of a mistaken understanding of what faith is. I think sometimes... We get it in our mind. I really believe this is the best course of action, and I'm trusting God by faith. I'm going to believe that God is going to do this thing. And then, to some degree, I, I psych myself up, and I just really believe that he's going to do it. Which, by the way, isn't that a bit of a contradiction in terms when I say I'm really just believing God for this? Because Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, amazing things happen. So it's not whether you really believe, like I've got to believe really strongly 
to some degree, I think, we treat faith as though it's really more positive thinking. And I think because of it, many people end up disappointed. They wanted something. They wanted something really, really badly. And they really, in their mind, settled that this is what God wanted. And so they asked him for it. And they were really convinced, absolutely convinced that God would do it. And it didn't happen. And they end up disappointed. I don't think the problem is with God. I think the problem is with our understanding of faith. I read a book years ago, and it really, really struck me. It was called Living by God's Surprises. I don't even know if it's in print anymore, but maybe you can find it. The premise of the book was, what happens when I've been praying for my neighbor family down the road, and all of a sudden we find out that they're adult son came and shot two of them. How do I deal with that? I've been praying for that family. Or, or I have a friend who I know, and they've been battling with cancer, and I've been praying and asking God to bring healing to them. And then they die of cancer. How do I deal with those realities? It's, it's really a, a powerful, powerful book, the concept of it. And here's the bottom line, the point of the book, and it's been a long time since I read it, but this really stuck with me. Prayer isn't designed to be a, a ask and get affair. Prayer is designed to get me into the flow of what God is doing. Faith is not believing God will do what we want done. Faith is believing that God will do what he has promised to do. Faith is the simple act of coming to Jesus with some need in complete confidence that he can and will deal with it. It is coming to God and saying, I do not know what to do here. And sometimes the problem is not that God didn't grant us wisdom, but that he didn't do it quick enough, right? I'm surprised I can't get an amen about that. But again, maybe that's just me. Because when I say, Lord, I need wisdom, I want to go. Sometimes the wisdom comes in the waiting, right? Faith is not just believing God is going to answer everything I ask. It's believing that God is going to do everything he promised. And so I get myself into the flow of God's purposes and I ask in faith, trusting God to do what God will do and to not doubt, no doubting. Because then I'm like a wave of the sea. You've been to the shore, right? You get out there in the waves and if you, if you get out far enough that your feet are just off the bottom, what happens? It kind of swoops you in. And then it swoops you back out and swoops you back in. And at some point in time, you hope to swim with the swoop that's going back in, right? You just don't know for sure because waves tend to do that. And the further out you are, the bigger the waves, right? It can really mess with you. It can, it can cause you great trouble. They're double-minded. Literally means they have two souls. 
This person vacillates between trusting God and seeing his problems as insurmountable. They vacillate between, Lord, I know you grant me wisdom to get through this thing, and I will never figure this out. You know, both of those can be true, right? You will never figure this out, and God can grant you the wisdom to do this, right? But a double-minded person does not go back and forth. They ask in faith, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to wait on you to answer, to give me wisdom. It makes us unstable, restless, feeling out of control. When I feel like that, I'm not going to God, asking for wisdom in faith. I'm doubting. That person, do not let that person suppose that he will receive anything. Meaning simply this, complete reliance on the Lord alone is the only way to wisdom. That doesn't mean you can't Google for information. But don't expect to get the wisdom of God from Google. Complete reliance on the Lord is the answer to wisdom. We live in a fast world. We live in a fast society. Perhaps one of the reasons that our parents and grandparents and on beyond were able, it seems, to function with such wisdom was that they weren't so hurried to come to a conclusion on what they had to do. It's really hard for us. And I know sometimes we're under pressures from outside of us to come up with a conclusion. And sometimes we have to simply trust God and say, Lord, I'm heading toward this door and I'm going to rattle it and I'm going to walk through it unless you lock it and trust him. But we can only do that if our general pattern of behavior is that we recognize these trials, these tests, these things that are coming at me, they require wisdom. And wisdom requires prayer. It requires that I go to God. And prayer demands faith. And faith demands a godly perspective. He gives a specific example but I think we can gain some principles from it. Beginning in verse 9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers and the grass and its flower falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Now I know he just makes a comment about the lowly man, which, but he's clearly talking about finance as the example. And then he says a lot about rich people. So listen, please, when you hear the Bible talking about rich people, do not immediately think Elon Musk, right, or Bill Gates, or whoever is the richest person you know at the moment. Think about people who have rather more than is necessary for their life which is probably most of us. Think about me if you want to. Now, I would never define myself as wealthy, not by the world's standards, but I have more than I need. I suspect that many of you also have more than you need. So the point is not how much you have. We're going to get to the point here in just a second, but he talks to the lowly person first. 
specifically in finances, but can I acknowledge with you that lowly today may mean lowly in the eyes of the world? Many Christians are made to feel inferior because of their faith. Nowadays, we're told that we're, we're haters. We're guilty of hate crimes if we stand on the teaching of the Bible. But we should, what does it say? Boast in our exaltation. Because no matter how detested we are in the world, no matter how low and despicable we appear to other people, we enjoy the highest of all privileges, namely being part of the family of God. Let the lowly brother rejoice, not because he's all of a sudden going to come into money, but because he already has what is worth far more than money, a home in heaven and a right relationship to God through Jesus. And let the rich person, let them rejoice in their humiliation. What? what are, recognizing that their riches are not what gives them value. Recognizing that their riches are not what makes them valuable to society. Recognizing the fleeting value of riches. That preaches real easily if you've got money invested in the stock market right now, right? Your riches, to some degree or another, have been vanishing, right? They're just going away. Now, I don't know the stock market. Maybe they'll all come back and more. Maybe now's the time to buy. I have no idea. I know people who do. I can give you a name if you want. But I do know this, there is a fleeting value to riches. We also need to know and remember that our wealth is for the glory of God. I didn't put these verses in the screen, but let me read you a couple that uh, Paul wrote to Timothy from 1 Timothy chapter 6. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. All of those things are really valuable, right? It is not wrong to have money. We just need to learn how to, how to give the right attention to money. So we talked about the low person and the wealthy person, and basically it's about perspective, right? In conclusion, says one writer, James is contending for the rich and the poor to live in the same manner with the same priorities for living. Whether we are rich or poor, we are the Lord's if we're serious about following Jesus as the Lord of our lives. The intrinsic effect of Christianity is to change our point of view, right? It changes how we view life. Once I become a follower of Jesus, everything gets turned upside down. So that's where the Beatitudes come in, right? Everything seems backward. If I'm 
poor, I'm supposed to rejoice. If I'm this, I'm supposed to do that. I should be happy when people persecute me and cause me trouble. Everything about the Beatitudes is backwards in life. But Jesus said that's how we live. It's what we do. Can, can I read them for you? Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Not in this culture, not in this world. It doesn't seem that way, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. When others revile you and persecute you and utter, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let the low person, whatever the source of your feeling lowly, let them rejoice in their exaltation. They're a child of the king. Let the rich person rejoice in their humiliation, in, in their ability to understand that their wealth doesn't make them valuable. Who they are in Jesus makes them valuable. My worth comes in Christ, not in riches. So trials demand wisdom. Wisdom demands prayer. Prayer demands faith, and faith demands a godly perspective. So let's talk about those thoughts to take home on your notes. Do you need wisdom? Ask God. Now I know sometimes you go to a person, sometimes you go to a godly counselor, someone who will grant you some godly advice. I can give you people who are here in this church family who I would commend to you as people who are godly and know the fear of the Lord and would give you godly advice. But go to the right source. Go to God for wisdom. Ask him. Secondly, the fear of the Lord is the starting place. That's what it said in verse 7 of Proverbs 1. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the place where you go when you want to begin to have wisdom and understanding. So if you're here today and you've never come to faith in Jesus, you need to understand that a right relation to God, properly standing in awe of God, recognizing the fear of God as it relates to your sin, all of those things come together in the gospel. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I'm separated from God and I have no hope for eternity or for now. And so I repent of my sin. I believe in the gospel, which is that Jesus, God the Son, came to this earth, lived the perfect life he, that I could never live. He died on the cross. He was buried in the tomb. And on day three, he came back to life again. I believe in those facts of the gospel. And then I receive Christ. 
I trust in him. I place my hope in him. And when I do that, I've responded rightly to the gospel, and I can begin now to access the wisdom of God because the fear of the Lord is the starting place. Thirdly, keep your focus of trust in God himself, not just in what he will do for you. That's really easy to do, right? It's really easy. I'm just trusting God to do such and such. I'm just believing that God's going to do this, this, and this. I would recommend today that you consider stopping that sentence after those first few words. I'm just going to trust God in this. Yes, I want to know what God's going to do. Moses, Exodus 33, I think it is, is being told by God, it's time to move again. We need to go. And Moses said, I need to know where I'm going. God said, I will show you the way. And Moses said, I want you to show me your way that I may know you and that you may show me your ways. I want to know the way. I want to know God's way. I want to know what he wants so I can get going. Moses said, show me your way so I can know you. Our focus has got to be on God himself, not only on what we anticipate he will do. And then, true wealth consists of things that are eternal. True wealth. So that means that among uh, our group here, even this morning, there are some who have a larger bank account than others. Some have a good deal of resources. Some have a lot of money. Some, not so much. But if you've trusted in Jesus, if you've Believed in the gospel, repented of your sin, we are on equal footing before God. We are all equally wealthy because true wealth consists of things that are eternal. That's why Paul told the Colossians, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. It's really hard because we're wrapped up with the earth, right? We're wrapped up with what's here. It's really hard to get our eyes lifted up but we work at focusing our attention on God because we will always face trials, decisions, struggles, whatever they may be, and those require wisdom. And wisdom requires that we pray and we talk to God, and prayer requires that we come in faith. But faith demands a godly perspective. So I hope that as we face the inevitability of trials and testings will remember accessing God's wisdom is as simple as ask God. I know there's a lot. We have to be rightly related to him, right? If, if other people's kids came to me and wanted me to explain stuff or help them through something, I probably would say call your mom or your dad or whatever, right? I mean, unless they absolutely couldn't get help and desperately needed it because I have my kids, and I will take care of my kids, and I, I want to do that. God will take care of his children. He's a giving God. It is in his nature to give generously and without reproach. So ask. He will give. Team's going to come up here, and we're going to sing a closing song. But in the meantime, I want to invite you to come. Maybe you're going to... You're struggling with some decision, some 
issue for wisdom and you need to pray and talk to God about it, man, we're going to have some people here under these screens that'll be happy to pray with you. They'll stick around a few minutes after the service. Come on up, talk to them, let them pray with you. That's why they're here. It's our prayer team. And uh, they would love to join you in prayer and stand with you uh, as you seek wisdom from God. Uh, if you don't know Jesus and aren't sure of what that all means, ask them. They will show you from the scriptures how you can know your sins are forgiven. You're on your way to heaven because you're rightly related to God. Uh, whatever it is, uh, you come and let them pray. But uh, I'm going to pray right now and ask God's blessing on us. And uh, let's close. Father, uh, we acknowledge that we often need wisdom. And we are really grateful that though you are the awesome unimaginably majestic and powerful God, you never look at us and say, oh, you again. Thank you that when you make us your child, you treat us like we are yours. And you are a giving God. You have proved that throughout our human history over and over again. Lord, help us to trust it. Help us to trust in you. Help us as we face trials and decisions and struggles and whatever they may be, to rest in confidence that you will do what you have promised. You will bring us home. You will give us everything we need. You will make us complete and mature, lacking in nothing. So we come to you open-handed, ready to see what you will do as you honor your name in our lives by fulfilling your promises. For we pray in Jesus' name.